it's honestly not rocket science, right? Once you go through it, like once you go through anything for the first time that you're kind of scared of, and then you look back, I'm still breathing, like I'm, I'm yeah. still alive. <laughs> that really wasn't that hard. It wasn't that, you know, it's really wasn't as scary as I made it out to be. That's the same way I, I say real estate investing is, is you said it, you got to be creative. You definitely got to be resourceful. You got to have grit. Like you're going to get a lot of no's before you get the yes. Welcome to The Real Deal Show, where we talk to real estate investors doing real deals. Listen as our guests share with you their tips, tricks, and secrets to doing real deals. Now, here's your hosts, Britt Foshi and Logan Hand. Oh, it's so awesome to have Matt Atchison on the show with us. Matt Atchison is based in the Bay Area. Matt, welcome. What's going on, gents? Glad to be here with you guys. Matt, just start us off by telling us a little bit about your background and how you got started in real estate. Yeah. So uh, basically, real estate's the only career I've ever known or been in. I'm the first person from my family that uh, really ever has been an entrepreneur. And both my parents, you know, hardworking corporate American, uh, you know, climbers where the traditional get in there and, and work hard. And I saw how underpaid underappreciated and overworked they were. And uh, as I was going through college, I actually, uh, I was expelled from high school. I got arrested in college and I kind of hit a fork in the road of my life. And I really had to do some self-reflection and started editing my peer group, started editing my environment. And that led me to kind of finding my very first mentor who was an entrepreneur. And he was running this kind of small investment brokerage in downtown Santa Barbara. And so I started pounding the phones, calling for him basically 30, 40 hours a week worked my way up to being his right-hand man and kind of seeing what the entrepreneurial lifestyle entailed. And uh, he wanted me to kind of take over his practice and own a job, which I just didn't want to do. And um, I decided to, to quit there, move back home, and kind of go back to the drum board and see what it was that was going to be my career path. And when I started making this, you know, hit list of all the things that I wanted, it was, you know, to be my own boss, have the freedom and flexibility and decision-making power over what my future looked like, have unlimited earning potential, no ceiling of what I could make, have the ability to obviously help people uh, accomplish goals and make a positive impact because I spent a lot of time not necessarily doing that in my, my early years, and as well as kind of having this lifestyle design, something sexy, something fun. You know, I was young. I was 21 years old and make as much money as you can and have that lifestyle, um, but ultimately, I just wanted the, the freedom over my choices and when I started looking at all those things, I kept coming back to, you know, I don't want to just create an income from whatever career I take. I want to do all of those things, but also be able to create wealth in the process. And when I was really researching all these different, you know, careers that would allow that, I just kept coming back to real estate. 90% of people become millionaires through owning real estate. And so when I kind of decided to take that leap of faith and become a real estate entrepreneur, really failed my way forward for the first, you know, nine, 10 months. I worked for another real estate investor and kind of saw how much money he was making. I saw how little I was making being the realtor and what he was doing and the amount of time I was putting in and the amount of time he was putting in. Um, but I started building up my real estate team and uh, long story short, five years later, we were Wall Street Journal top 1000 doing about 40 million a year in volume, uh, hundreds of sides. I started flipping and uh, did 150 flips on my own, uh, using none of my own money. So that was a big part of it of, you know, going, being broke college student, living in my dad's, um, house, barely able to pay bills, any money, my savings, credit card debt, 
to uh, flipping my first house, making six figures on it and kind of parlaying that into other opportunities and just having that aha moment that I didn't need money to go out and do deals. I needed to just find great deals. And so 150 flips later, I've been able to, you know, travel around and speak at different investment associations and organizations and partnered in a construction company. So kind of building up this ecosystem of having flips, buying rental properties and creating passive income, having the construction company tie into all those things, as well as the retail real estate team. And, and that's really where I've spent a lot of my time these last few years and really gotten more into the lifestyle, enjoying the lifestyle design of it now and trying to become more location independent because a lot of these are brick and mortar businesses and particular markets. And now um, really playing in the e-learning space of creating products and educational courses in the real estate investing space uh, to give other people an opportunity to have the same kind of learning and education that I wish I would have had without having to pay twenty five, fifty thousand dollars like a lot of the people are charging. So yeah, man, that's so. What I want to understand is you're in a really competitive market and a very probably one of the most competitive markets in in the country, and it's yeah, very no expensive. Um, so what what are you doing today? Um, that's helping you get some of these deals and be one of the best flippers in your neighborhood and in your area? Uh, really, I mean, you, you have to, the only way to scale is through systems, right? Systems and people. Um, you, me, you know, Britt, we're, we're, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Um, and so really trying to dial in those systems, particularly in the lead generation side of the business has been, you know, a focus and something that we really put a lot of weight on. Um, so having, I look at lead generation model, like a stool, basically having three legs of a stool. So you're stable, um, consistently my number one lead generation method has been direct mail. I've sent out hundreds of thousands of pe uh, pieces of direct mail, uh, wasted a lot of money, uh, made a lot of money from it as well. Um, so direct mail has been a consistent lead generator. Um, pay-per-click has been another thing that uh, now really putting more time and energy and effort towards that and kind of split testing and really learning our cost per deal, cost per click, all of the metrics that ultimately you don't know, just being a real estate investor and now trying to understand this whole marketing side of the game and how that really can be an accelerator to finding leads that other people aren't willing to go out and learn or put the money forth to find and then the number one, hands down, opportunity for me finding deals has been real estate agents. Um, being that I played in that arena for a very long time, uh, I look at it, it's like my farm. You know, when I first came into the industry, I had a bunch of raw land sitting in front of me. And over the years, I've rototilled that land, I've planted seeds, I've nurtured those relationships and seen the, the crops grow and eventually bear fruit. And so now I've really positioned myself as an authority in my market. Today, I got three four addresses sent to me from various agents saying, Hey, this seems like a deal that would fit you. What could you pay? Da, da, da. So I get a lot of that that comes in and um, over time, just continuing to, as we all know in the real estate space, it's a heavily weighted uh, relationship game. And so mm -hmm. really continuing to invest in those relationships and making those a priority and just making myself relevant still with a lot of the social media content and stuff that I put out allows me to at least stay top of mind for, for some of these people and have those deals brought in. And it's free. Free 99 is my favorite price tag, right? The other ones are the pay to play strategy. So these are at least the ones that I can leverage some of the relationships to, you know, um, hedge on my cost. So you went from zero to 150 flips and you said you did that with none of your own money. 
what does that mean? Whose money is it? And how are you raising it? And maybe walk us through even some of the technical, you know, how is it, how much are you getting? Are you having to put any of your own money in that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's a, one of those things where you always see on the marketing ads, like none of my own money, no credit, no this. And you know, so many people are like, oh, it's BS. Like that's crap. And um, and I always tell people, I mean, it's it's the truth. I mean, I couldn't have qualified for, you know, a freaking car, let alone a house when I did it. And that first deal I made over $106,000 on. And the way I did it um, is that first one being that I didn't have a whole lot of private money relationships yet. Uh, I leveraged a hard money lender. And I remember one of my first mentors going, you find a great deal, the money's going to fall. And I'm like, yeah, that's crap. Like that's such a cliche. And yet I found a great deal and the money followed. Um, because if it's a really a great deal, those hard money lenders, they want to get their capital deployed, right? They're, they're ready to take on the risk as long as the deal is there and they're insulating their risk. Like you're buying it at a discount. They're going to lend even more discounted on that discount you're getting. So they ended up lending 90% of my purchase price. They funded hundred percent of my construction costs at um, about a 11% interest rate. They charged me a couple points and I was like, whatever, I just want to get the deal done. Right. So, um, I didn't know any different, any better at the time. I was 23 years old. And um, that was my first possession, position lender. Then it was, where do I find the rest of this money? Like, I don't have I had a couple hundred bucks in my savings account, all kinds of credit debt. There was no way I was going to come up with the additional funds. So um, where you can look for your second money, your down payment money was, I started with, there's really, you can start with three places, your inner circle, outer circle, social circle. And for me, inner circle, family, friends, people that intimately know, like, and trust you. Then your outer circle is, you know, other realtors in my office, other vendors that knew who I was that I was maybe doing this business with other people that I had some good relationships with and knew what I was doing, but you know, not that close, close relationship. Then there was a social circle of real estate investment groups, meetups, you know, people in my church, basketball league, whatever it was, you know, starting to go through that database of people and talk about what this opportunity was and why it was a safe opportunity and what they could get paid because a lot of people essentially, right? You talk about giving them 10% on their money and securing it to a collateralized physical asset. And you talk real estate, which is a sexy topic for a lot of people. Um, most of these people are getting, you know, less than 1% if it's sitting in savings, three to 4% if it's in an IRA 401k, SEP IRA, one of those things. So, you know, I ended up finding that down payment money and I baked in not only the down payment money, but the holding costs that it was going to be the interest only payments and my holding costs that I was going to have to pay the first lender, which was an interest only payment every month into my second payment, uh, my second down payment money uh, loan. So basically I had the first, I had the second funded by a family member who invested in that deal. I didn't cut anybody in on the equity of the property, just paid them their, their interest, their principal back and uh, ended up netting, you know, six figures on that first deal. And I was 23 and uh, I remember walking away from the closing table going, wait, I just funded this deal, never bought a house in my life. No way I could qualify for this if I went the traditional route with none of my own money. And so that was kind of the big aha of going, I can do this more moving forward. And um, kind of a cool story for a lot of people that go, well, where do you find, you know, private money? Because private money is where I funded a lot of my deals. Um, hard money lenders are out. There. They're a dime a dozen, right? You can just type in a hard money lender, look for somebody in a local real estate investment Facebook group and find somebody that's great 
um, that people are referring and you'll see some common names come up. But the private money is the great, you know, relationships, right? Like Britt, you got a million bucks. Like you want to lend with me? Let's, let's talk. What kind of terms do you want? Like it's all negotiable. There is no regulations, no guidelines when we're talking private money. And how I found my first private money lender was I was doing a direct mail campaign. And this is a perfect example of you never know where you're going to find private money that could change your life. And this relationship, I sent out a bunch of direct mail doing direct mail. And um, this guy called me back and he said, yeah, come over, check out my property. So, you know, I'm 23 at the time and I have my button up shirt on and my clipboard and, you know, I'm walking in all dorky like I know what I'm talking about. And uh, he was a seasoned investor and we go through and we have the conversation. We get through the very end and he goes, you know what? I like you. And he's an older guy and he goes, I'm not going to sell you my property though. And I'm like, oh, all right, well, thanks for wasting my time, you know? And he goes, what I, what I am going to let you do is I'm going to let you sell my property and the proceeds that I get from this property, I'll invest in your next flip. So long story short, I ended up selling 30 of their rentals and ended up um, using about $3 million of their private money. Uh, him and his wife have been investing with me for about five years now. Uh, they're my main private money lender and uh, I found them from direct mail. I love that. I, first of all, I relate to this story on so many levels no, for a couple of reasons. One, I started investing when I was 23. So I totally get that. And walking up to a house in like a nice shirt and being like, I'm totally old enough to buy your house. What do you <laughs> yeah, call right. You know? And, and also I came from a teaching program. I'm one of those like you know, semi-decent success stories from an online teaching program that anyone has access to. Uh, it's just being able to apply the information and actually like take it to different levels. Um, and thirdly, I bought my first apartment building the same way that you bought that house. Um, so I, I relate to, I just want to tell everyone that like, guys, if you just learn to be creative with the money, and the financing and like teach yourself the best ways to find deals, you can literally do exactly what he just did and end up with an asset that's worth a tremendous amount of money with none of your own cash, just a little bit of creativity and hustle um, to get an opportunity. And hilariously enough, I was in an Uber uh, last night and the guy that picked me up was asking me, you know, about, you know, what I did and how I started and stuff like that. And this guy was like, wait a minute, you you figured out how to get properties and then you like you sold your contract to somebody else and you made a bunch of money without actually bought like how is this even real and he's like i wish i was that smart to do something like that i was like you are just use google i mean it's all out there just go do it yep so um i love that story man that was you're you're a man after my own heart it's funny because I tell people all the time, like, it's honestly not rocket science, right? Once you go through it, like, once you go through anything for the first time that you're kind of scared of and then you look back, I'm still breathing, like, I'm, I'm yeah. still alive. Yeah. That really wasn't that hard. It wasn't that, you know, it really wasn't as scary as I made it out to be. That's the same way I, I say real estate investing is, is you said it. You got to be creative. You definitely got to be resourceful. You got to have grit. Like, you're going to get a lot of no's before you get the yes. But, I mean, I can't tell you how many phone calls I got from people literally telling me to F off until I got that one phone call that made me a hundred plus thousand dollars. And I can tell you that after I got that one phone call, it made me realize that the fear I had around all these no's and all of the other things that could go wrong, they're worth it, right? I mean, that's, that's why if it was easy, 
99% of the world be walking around as a real estate millionaire. So you got to have that grit. You got to be willing to push through. And in the beginning, you know, you don't need to know it all. You just need to surround yourself with the people who do. And therefore, you're going to hedge your risk and you're going to rely on somebody else's resources and knowledge and experience. And if you've got to cut them in on the deal, so be it. I mean, that's a price of education that, you know, you'll be able to use that and parlay that into so many other opportunities that open up big profits, you know, big relationships and, you know, buying a multifamily apartment building with none of your own money like Logan did, right? I mean, it's just one of those things where don't let those fears or limiting beliefs hold you back and know that literally anybody can do this. That's right. That's right. So you've done 150 flips. You got a lot to choose from. Tell us what's the best real deal you've ever done. Um, well, uh, let's say April 28th of this year, I just cashed $184,000 property. Um, that was, uh, was awesome. Probably one of my favorites was, uh, one that I just did in San Jose not too long ago. And, um, you know, we get paid for solving problems essentially in real estate, right? Sure. Yes. And if you're a really good problem solver and you can do it, in a very professional manner and you can get in the door at the right time. Timing is, you know, a big part of all of this. Um, you know, you can make some pretty good money. And I would say, gosh, I've had some nightmare deals recently that have been challenging. And going back to this one, I made about $175,000 on it. It was a property in San Jose, um, you know, right in the heart of Silicon Valley, not far from Google. And um, I ended up buying it uh, one of my students from my six figure flipper program ended up bringing me the deal, wholesaled me the deal. I ended up closing on it in five days. Uh, we put about 150,000 of work into it. It just went as seamless and smooth. I mean, no requests for repairs, no nothing. The escrow, I had 10 offers come in. Uh, four of them were cash. I put on, put it on the market for 1.4. It ended up going for about point five, eight. And I mean, literally was in and out of the project with maybe, maybe 15 hours worth of work altogether from start to finish. So you do the, I mean, you do the math there, 175 divided by 15 hours of work. I was making about $11,000 an hour. That's, that's a pretty good bad. return, buddy. That's, that's not bad, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll make sure to send you your check for this hour-long podcast when we're done. Yeah, <laughs> those, I mean, those things don't come around very often, right? But yeah. um, that's one of my favorite deals because of those numbers right there and how seamless and smooth it went. But I always say, like, it's just like I, I relate it to baseball being that, you know, players get paid, right? Like the spectators are not the ones getting the big paydays. And right. you have to be willing to step in the batter's box and be willing to strike out. Like I strike out sometimes, yep. but I can tell you after being in that batter's box enough, I give myself an opportunity to get on base, to hit a single, to hit a double, to hit a triple. Sometimes you get a home run. And if you're not in the batter's box, you're not going to score runs. You're not going to put points up on the board. You're not going to put profits in your pocket. So you have to be willing to be in the game to even mm -hmm. see one of those pitches come across your plate. And, uh, and that was just a, that was a good, you know, meaty, nice, slow softball right over the center of the plate that I, that I ripped the cover off. <laughs> so how did you, how, tell me how you got that deal. So like real life, you know, uh, which source did that come from and, and how did it kind of transpire? Yeah. Relationships. Um, my, my six figure flipper, it's a course, 
that teaches people how to, you know, flip from start to finish. Um, it's basically my whole business model. I mean, there's a million courses and teachers and communities out there. Um, this is the community that I've built. And uh, it was one of my students who brought me the deal. It was an estate sale. She's a real estate agent in Silicon Valley. And um, one of her clients brought her the deal. It was an out-of-state um, inherited property owner, essentially. And they didn't want to put it on the market. They didn't want to deal with, you know, it was just one of those unique situations where they could have made probably way more money than I gave them than put it on the market, but they just didn't want to deal with it. And it was right place, right time. And most importantly, it was the right relationship. I had built enough, I'd, I'd made enough deposits in this person's life and been present of mind and added enough value to this person that when it was time to cash in on that, um, it, she brought me the opportunity. And uh, I mean, I was able to perform, you know, in the time frame that they needed me to. And, you know, we were off and running. I love it. So I, you, obviously being in the Bay Area, your market is different than perhaps ours in Florida or the listeners throughout the country. But given the, the market that you're in, what like gives you the green light and the confidence to pull the trigger on a deal? Like what's your criteria? What are you looking for? When you look at a deal, how do you know like that's the one I want to flip? You know, in, and I, I understand that I'm somewhat an anomaly of a market. Um, my hometown is Sacramento. So that deal I drove three hours for. Um, and I always say I'll drive as far as the deal makes sense. My construction crew will go. Or that, you know, I'm willing to, you know, basically sit in a car for it. And so usually that's about a three hour radius around my, my hub. So I do a lot of deals in Sacramento and do deals out in the Bay Area as well and kind of all up in between. Um, for this deal, uh, I knew it was, was pretty cookie cutter. Like, so for a lot of people right now that are kind of concerned, like, hey, we're at the peak of the market. There's a lot of people being very aggressive, you know, going, hey, you know, it's going to keep going more and I'm going to base my comps on it still appreciating and being the highest comp and this and that. Um, I'm going to add square footage. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. For me, my flipping model right now is in and out. So I look for, I want to stay ahead of the market. I want to keep a pulse on the market. I want to stay ahead of the market. So that way I can get in and out. If anything does shift, I have the ability to cut the cord and I know I'm going to be safe. My investors capital is going to be safe. So on this deal, it was just one of those deals where the, I knew the scope of work was pretty clean. I mean, we weren't looking, the, the layout was good. The neighborhood was phenomenal. Um, we were able to get in and out, you know, construction wise within about two months. Um, I knew that there was a heavy amount of cash offers going on in that neighborhood. So therefore I was probably not even going to be dealing with the 30 day or 45 day escrow. Um, so I look at some of those variables and factors, but I always look at, you know, first and foremost, I mean, everybody's I'm sure familiar. And if you're not the max allowable offer formula, it's just your after repair value of what you can sell it for. What are the highest comps in the neighborhood that you want to model after and try and sell it for and, and get that price. And what kind of repairs do you need to put into the house based on its current condition to get it in that after repair value condition to sell it for top dollar? So it usually, you know, people take a 30% discount. So your after repair value times 70%, a 30% discount of the after repair value minus the construction costs equals your max allowable offer. Mm -hmm. So I knew right away doing my quick rule of thumb that I was right in the ballpark there. Uh, I walked the property, we dialed in the scope of work. My contractors gave me a bid. And, um, and I knew that, you know, the offer that we were going to make was essentially non-contingent, uh, a good solid deposit. So they know we were serious, a short window of closing, um, addressing whatever pain points or motivation they had to sell. 
And from there, it was just writing up a clean offer and performing. So with all that um, stuff you have going on, man, which is, it's, it's exciting. It's a cool operation you have going on. What, what's your main focus that you're working on today? Um, what really drives you and makes you excited as far as what you're doing right now today? Right now, it's more of the online education, uh, being that if I can take my brick and mortar businesses and the knowledge that I have up in here from the last seven years of experience uh, and package it up in a way that essentially I can invent money while adding value to people and giving them those same opportunities. That's what really fires me up because it allows me to be location independent mm -hmm. where if I wanted to go travel with my family, my girls, um, I have the ability to do that without being essentially stuck in a job. Cause at the end of the day, let's be honest, flipping is a job. Like mm -hmm. you gotta be there. You know, if, if I don't, if I, if I don't show up, if I don't, you know, essentially um, continue building the relationships, doing some of the things that we do, then some of those things slow down. Um, so what I'm most fired up is adding more passive income to my portfolio. Um, all of my rentals are in California. So um, I'm fortunate from that perspective of having a portfolio that, has a good chunk of equity and still has, you know, some reasonable cash flow. But at the end of the day, um, I want to supplement that cash flow a lot more. So I would say I'm 50, 50 excited about adding more doors to my portfolio. And then on the other side, digitalizing and continuing to expand, uh, the courses and the e-learning opportunities that I know will add value to people and doing it at a reasonable price that essentially helps me unlock more freedom to travel and, and have that passive income lifestyle. That was what, you know, attract me to real estate for in the first place. That's great, man. You got a lot going on. I mean, what's cool is I've noticed a thread in our podcast interviews and it's, it's that there's always like this catalytic event that spurs people into something. Um, we had a guest on just recently that had, he lost 75 grand in a business transaction. And like, that's what propelled him into real estate. It sounds like, you know, you were in high school and in college getting into trouble and getting into nonsense. And like, that was like your turning point and it moved you into real estate. And what I love about that is, is that like, no matter who's listening right now, like if you find yourself in that moment, that actually might be the moment for you that moves you into that next phase of your life. And so what, what we want to make sure that our listeners hear is that like, it just didn't start this way for you. Like this oh, was a journey not. for you. <laughs> like this wasn't like you woke up and you were flipping six figure homes. Like this was a journey that brought you to this, this moment. And so in light of that, share with us, we call this part of the show, the real deal, the uh, keeping it real part, portion of the show. In light of that, share with us, what's your biggest fear in life or in business? Well, I appreciate you bringing that up too, because absolutely, I call them my majestic failures and I'm failing forward every day. I've had a lot of them. I've had some recently. Um, and I think ultimately pain is all part of the path of progress. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my biggest fears is ultimately that uh, I play too small. You know, um, sometimes I, I have these big goals and big dreams and then I hit you know, some roadblocks or some challenges mentally or physically. And then you kind of, okay, wait, hold on. Like that's a check here. I step back a little bit. And sometimes I don't ever want that to limit me from reaching my full capability. So in life in general, I would say overall, my fear is just not reaching my maximum potential and, and not playing full out in life. And I know that 
Um, if I surround myself with the right people, right environments, right, and, and have the right experiences, I will continue to open the right doors that ultimately lead me to maximizing my, my potential in life. That's good. I love that. And the next question that we ask, this is my favorite question because it's so real and it's such a, such a important part of entrepreneurship and uh, especially investing, which is talk about your biggest failure uh, that you've had and like what you learned from it and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't even think we have enough time to talk about all the, the big failures because there's been so many of them. And so sure. I often look at, you know, there's failures of mindset and habit and discipline and there's failures of just pure numbers. Um, for, I'll give you guys one from a pure number standpoint because this was a tough failure and I lost sleep over it. Um, it was a hit to my ego. It was, it was just a big challenge for me on many levels. And uh, I lost $180,000 on a development, $180,000. And, uh, that set me back. It, hurt me in, you know, uh, the pocketbook. It also hurt me more emotionally, I think, than anything. And what I learned from that is, you know, oftentimes um, our biggest challenges and pain points birth our greatest successes and happiness. And if there weren't problems in our life, if we weren't stretching the envelope and really trying to expand ourselves, that's where I go back to my fear of just playing too small. And so I know that when I'm hitting these challenges, I'm, I'm having these breakdowns, I'm right there to having a big breakthrough. But I got to keep stepping and chipping away at it, whether it's big or small strides every day, just keeping the needle moving forward has been a big part of that. And just having that aha. And also knowing that, you know, in that process of having other people around you that support you and that you can be vulnerable and transparent with are often the times that you have the ability to have somebody lend their belief in you when maybe you don't have it in yourself. And it gives you that opportunity to really work inside to make sure that the outside then can reflect that growth and, and those breakthroughs. So that one was a big, uh, big pain point for me. And looking back on what would I have done differently from a real estate standpoint, it would have been due diligence. I was essentially leveling up into an area that I hadn't, it was uncharted waters for me. And so there were things on a planning and a city level and a building level that, um, and also a, a particular market level being that I was in the Berkeley Hills and, um, we were on an earthquake fault line and some of the things that essentially their planning required that being the size of the project I was doing had never, I'd never run into that before. And so I didn't account for it. And when you're talking about holding costs of $11,000 a month and some timeline being extended by almost a year over a year, adding another $120,000 to your timeline as well as some of the additional costs and things that they were going to require us to do uh, that hit me, that hit me big time. And so I actually had to cut the cord on that project. I flash sold it at a major loss. I probably would have lost even more than that. And it was one of those things where now moving forward and doing some of the projects I'm doing, I'm looking at things and doing due diligence on some of these higher, big priced, big ticket, larger projects in a whole different set of light. Um, and I can guarantee I'll never make that mistake again. Yeah. That's good. I think there's two lessons there. One is uh, mistakes happen too, yeah. right? And I would say second is just learn from that mistake. So, you know, if you are trying to level up, make sure you're doing the proper due diligence. And my recommendation would be is to find the people that are at that level and just, just get, get next to them. 
learn from them, ask them questions. I mean, I was literally just doing this yesterday. Uh, it was actually some zoning stuff, Matt. I was like, I don't really know the zoning that well. And so I need to go find someone that does. So I bought this guy lunch and um, that's what I was doing. You know, so definitely do your due diligence. Like it's, it is, it is noble to want to move up. Um, but know that there's, there's a reason that, that it's the next level and that there are gonna be different obstacles and different hurdles, and there's a reason that only the big guys and the big players are at that level. And so they've achieved and overcome those obstacles. And so I would say don't let your ego or pride get in the way um, of like, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. Yeah, that's partially true. And there's also another part of that where there's certain things that you're probably not seeing and aware of that they would um, know. And so just have them help you um, yeah. would, would be my two cents. So. You brought up two key points real quick that I wanted to touch yeah. on was yeah. one was, um, you know, surrounding yourself with people who have already been there and traveled down that path, which I think is, is so important. Um, but you also said another thing that re really hit home with me was I did that and I did that without doing my due diligence in those people. Ah, okay. So therefore I put way too much trust in other people to do that due diligence for me when That's I really good. should have been the one actually being close behind that, doing the due diligence myself and educating myself on that. So, um, that was totally a major, major hit to, you know, the ego. And, um, it was a great learning lesson that, you know, so, ultimately I know will, will serve me moving forward. So trust, but verify. Is that, is there that you go. There yeah. you go. All right. That's the code. Tell us. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, Tell us something you are currently working on just in your personal development to just be a better person. It could be anything. For me, I'm writing a book right now. Um, I'm writing a book right now, which ultimately, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, if you're going to be preaching something, you better be practicing at an extremely high level. Right. Um, you know, it's one thing to have a message, but you better be, the messenger better be living their message. And I think there's a lot of people that aren't necessarily doing that. And so, um, right now, you know, I've been doing personal development from essentially the day I got arrested and got out and, you know, really committed to being on a different path of my life. And, um, so now I'm kind of, you know, starting to craft my message and, you know, ultimately that is about being a whole life millionaire. And a lot of people think like millionaire immediately means seven figures in your bank account or in your net worth. And, um, I think there's a different 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 definition of what being a millionaire is and what wealth is. And I know a lot of people that are, you know, millionaires in their bank account, but they're bankrupt in their health and their relationships and giving back to other people. And so I think there's this, you know, this idea that um, being a millionaire is only money. And, you know, I'm looking to change that conversation a little bit and go, you know, being rich, being wealthy, being a millionaire um, yes, it's important to have active and passive income and making that a main pillar of your life, but there's a whole lot more that goes into that equation. And so I'm really digging in and going really deep in a lot of what those pillars are and how I'm kind of bringing that all together and, and how that can impact people's idea of what rich and fulfilling lifestyles can look like for them. Cause everybody's got a different definition, man, that, um, I've never heard a position like that before. I mean, Britt, have you ever heard someone talk about it like that? Like a concept of being a whole life millionaire? That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, I'm interested. Do you have like a title? Can you share any like inside information with us? Is I'm, that I'm, the title? Dude, that might need to be the title. So that, that's included in the title. We're not sure if it's going to be the title or the um, part of the subtitle, but 
Rich, R-I-C-H, is, uh, is essentially one of the main acronyms and potentially the title of the book, which R is relationships, personal and professional. I is income, active and passive. C is contribution, time and money. And health is mental, physical, and spiritual. And um, kind of a framework of how we take people to defining what their rich life looks like and um, including all of those variables into it. So I'm digging really deep in that right now. So stay tuned for the book for sure. I love that. Let us uh, know when it goes out. I definitely uh, I want to pick that up for sure. Cool. So just to wrap up, um, tell us a skill or a trait that you think maybe sets you apart from everybody else that's out there. I would say uh, habits habits are, are on a high level. I'll say from a skill level, you know, if we're going to talk about real estate, I would say it's listening. Um, I'm a really good listener because listening allows me to figure out what my next step is in regards to supporting and serving the individual that I'm working with at the highest possible level. And ultimately, if you want to make a million dollars, go give a million dollars away in value, right? If you can give value to people, you're going to make a whole lot of money, a whole lot of money in return. So listening, I think, is just a critical part of all of that, especially being in the space that we're in. It's sales, right? And we're, we're in a human-to-human, -human, like people are worried about disruption coming in with tech and this and that. And I think that will automate, disrupt certain processes and parts of, you know, what we do. But at the end of the day, we're still humans and people want human interaction. And a big part of that, that is the linchpin of many people's success, my mentors, you guys, other people that I know that have really excelled at a high level in this space. It's because they're good listeners and therefore they fill the gaps in with the next move, the next conversation, the next opportunity because they've listened and they know what that is with clarity. Um, when it comes to an overall lifestyle, I would say it's habits. Like I have um, I created a planner for myself because I came obsessed with this when a lot of my mentors started doing it. And it's essentially, it's a habit tracker and I track my habits. So therefore I have awareness around the areas of my life that ultimately get me the greatest ROI, whether that's physical health, whether that's spiritual health, whether that's being a great father, being a great husband, being a great boss, leader, son, friend, you name it. In addition to all the other things that I know, I get the highest ROI on those habits. And so you look at anybody's habits, um, ultimately it's going to tell you what kind of ROI they're getting in their lives. And most people just have really poor habits. So I would say if you can audit your habits and align yourself with the right habits that serve you and your goals, um, you're going to be doing really well if you can consistently do those habits over an extended period of time and see the compound effect really start to work in your favor. I love, I love the, the skill of listening. Uh, I love it because it is not common. <laughs> everyone's, yeah, right? everyone's, we want to talk. Yeah, everyone's trying to get their message out. And, you know, I value that. I appreciate that. But I, I have found that, man, listening is like a likable trait. If you have a friend that listens – you like them. And then if you keep the equation going, people do business with people they like. Um, yep. And so if, if you can develop that skill, that's the first time we've heard that. So I love it. Uh, guys, this is like an unbeatable trait. Um, I, love, I love going to the meetings and being able to ask the right questions, which is pivotal uh, to being a good listener. And then just sit and listen and actually listen. Don't like doze off. Don't like check your phone. And you will be amazed at the I would just go back onto your second thing and see the ROI that comes from that. I believe that I have gotten deals and business relationships strictly because I can go in and just listen. I don't have to have, I don't have to talk. There's a time yep. to talk and there's a time to listen. And uh, I 
absolutely love that. Um, so don't listen here, talk here, Matt. We want to know how can people <laughs> hear what you have to say and what you're putting out there in the world? What's the best way to hear it? Um, well, if they want to hear it, uh, I would say people can listen to my podcast, which is Millionaire Mindcast. Um, I have the pod I have two, the Six Figure Flipper, which I interview all kinds of awesome real estate investors, uh, which I'm going to have to connect with you guys on that, as well as um, the Millionaire Mindcast is just me interviewing other millionaires and billionaires essentially that are willing to allow us to be a fly on the wall to those conversations and hear about their habits, disciplines, their challenges, the things that essentially all human beings go through um, in order to unlock a more rich and fulfilling life. Um, but if you want to connect with me personally, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on uh, Instagram, all of the same handle, official Matty A, M-A-T-T-Y-A, um, or anybody can just email me at uh, Matty A, M-A-T-T-Y-A at six, the number six, figureflipper.com. One heck of an awesome interview. <laughs> Dude, you guys made it easy, man. Man, I mean, I just feel like we got good info that we haven't had before. Um, we got a lot of mindset stuff that we haven't really touched on all that much. So this was super helpful. I know I took a couple of notes here just chatting back and forth. And um, I know Britt heard some different perspectives that, that he hasn't heard recently. So we really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for, for being on the show. And um, if we could ever be on your show, we'd love to do it as well. Dude, let's make it happen. Always. All right. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to The Real Deal Show. Be sure to join us next week as we dive into more tips, tricks, and secrets to doing real deals. If you haven't already, please subscribe and review our channel on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may listen. That's all for today. We'll see you next week.